Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Anyone familiar with the Bible knows that it is comprised of an Old and New Testament. But have we ever considered just what is a testament and how does it pertain to us? We'll focus on these two testaments or covenants today on the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. And we're always happy when Ron Kangas has an opportunity to return for another journey into the book of Hebrews. Ron, it's good to see you today. And I'm always happy to fellowship concerning the riches of Christ in a book such as Hebrews. Ron, we have a message today entitled The New Covenant and the New Testament. Are these uh, two terms synonyms? They are, yet not altogether. In brief, we need to point out that testament and covenant, even as these words are used in our translation of Hebrews, are the same word in Greek. So why do we translate the word covenant here and testament there? Well, it's because covenant and testament are to a certain extent synonymous, but in a very significant way different. A covenant and a testament both are ratified agreements containing provisions, containing promises. The difference is that a covenant is an agreement that is in the process of fulfillment while the persons who made the covenant are alive. So you have two parties, they make an agreement, it's officially ratified, that's a covenant. So we do have a new covenant in the scriptures. When the principal party who makes a covenant of this sort dies, the covenant then becomes a testament, the last will and testament of a particular person. So we need to view this matter from the angle of a covenant. The contract, so to speak, God made with us, we also need to view this matter from the angle of a testament. And this is especially crucial to see that Christ died making the covenant a will and testament containing all manner of bequests for our experience and enjoyment. Some of these ideas are rather new, but the message and we hope our commentary and fellowship related to the message will help make clear this marvelous revelation in Hebrews concerning New Covenant and New Testament. Ron, that is our message and focus today. We'll be back after this portion of Witness Lee sharing to talk a little more about these terms and some others. Now, here's Witness Lee. 
if you are a Greek student, you go to your lexicon, you could see the Greek word for both covenant and testament is just one word. Then, how are you going to translate when it occurs? In a simple word, when the giver is still living, that is the covenant. When the giver is dead, right away the covenant becomes a will. And this will is termed in the Bible the testament. The testament in modern term is just the will. Now you understand the whole Bible is two wills. One is too old and the second is so new. The Bible is not a book of teaching. The Bible is a will. What a difference. When God speaks something promising you that he will do something for you or that he will give you something or that he will be something to you, this is a promise. For instance, in Jeremiah 31, God promised that he will write his law into our inward parts. And that he will be God to us and that we will be his people. These are not merely God's words. These are God's words as promises. After God promised us, he signed his promise by an oath. He swore by his Godhead that surely what he promises is confirmed. Once his promise is confirmed by the oath, it right away becomes a covenant. Hebrews 6, 16 says so. So, all the promises became a covenant. Once the promises are confirmed by God's oath, that's it. No possibility of repentance. No possibility of changing concept. It is signed. It is confirmed by God's divine signature. God's oath. And then the Lord Jesus came. And he did everything that God promised. So, by the Lord doing, every item of God's promise became an accomplished fact. For instance, in Jeremiah, God promised that God will make propitiation for sins. Who did this? The Lord Jesus did it. By his death and resurrection, the Lord has made all the promises, facts, accomplished. Then, in a sense, he left us with the covenant he has accomplished. When he left this covenant with us, this covenant right away became a testament. And in this testament, you have all the accomplished facts. 
But now, these facts are no more facts. These facts are now all become bequests. Then, as he has accomplished everything, he went to the heavenly throne and sit there resting. Well, he is resting there. He is concerned for all the inheritors, for you and me. So, he is interceding there for the full realization of all the bequests contained in his bequeathed will. He is interceding there for this realization by all his inheritance. Ron, to a casual or new listener, we have a lot of terms presented here, and I'm going to ask you to sort them out for us so that everyone has a background to help lay hold of all that's being conveyed. We spoke about covenant and testament, Ron. Let me add to that list will, bequest, and oath. We have a covenant that is an agreement, usually formally ratified, between two or more living parties. The testament is a particular kind of covenant that goes into effect upon the death of the person who made this covenant now becoming a testament and who has specified certain provisions for the heirs. So a covenant involves someone living, a principal person or party who has died. The heirs who are living receive the bequests of that testament. Will here is virtually equivalent to testament. We may speak of someone's last will and testament and use will and testament virtually as identical. And that's our understanding here. When we speak of the New Testament, we may also speak of the new will, something that God has committed himself to grant to us based upon the death of his son. The bequests are all of the particular items contained in the testament or will, which are the rightful possessions of the heirs. So if your uncle should pass away and you are mentioned in his last will and testament, there may be a bequest. Perhaps he owns a house and that will specifies that this house now goes to you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to beg for it. It is something guaranteed for you in this testament or will. An oath is related to a promise. God's word is God speaking. When God speaks in such a way that he assures us he will do something, that is a promise. A promise is often words of commitment between trusting parties. An oath may be added to a promise. An oath is a formal and solemn declaration that one offers full assurance to carry out the promise. When someone makes an oath, they are officially, solemnly, seriously, formally committing themselves to carry out the promises that have been made. 
What's crucial for us to see is that in the scriptures, once God's promises are affirmed by his oath, that brings in a covenant. So God has spoken, God has promised, God has made an oath. That oath causes the promise to be a covenant between living parties. The primary party, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, has died. His death caused the covenant to become a testament, which is also a will. In this will and testament are many, many marvelous bequests that the Lord wants us to claim, appropriate, experience, and enjoy by faith. And by the way, faith is also one of the bequests of the covenant. There's a marvelous revelation here. It opens a whole new realm of spiritual experience, all solidly based on the word of God. So let's listen to more of this marvelous ministry from this portion of Hebrews. We'll follow your lead. Here's Witness Lee. God today gives you a will, including so many items of his bequest. One of these items is the forgiveness of sins. And another one is that you have been killed. Another one is that you have been reborn. Another one is that you have been glorified. Another one is that you have been fully perfected. In the new will, there's no future tense. All perfect tense. You know, in the last portion of this new will, that is the book of Revelation, John never used a future tense. He used all the time past tense. I saw Satan there in the lake of fire. And he said, I saw the new Jerusalem. I saw that the new Jerusalem came down. All past tense. Why? Because all the things mentioned in this will are bequests, not promises. Have you seen me? Here is a will for you. And this will is God's will to you. And in this will, it says clearly, He has accomplished the forgiveness of all your sins. Everything has been accomplished by God, and now every item becomes a bequest presenting to you. Would you take it? If you say, yes, thank you, Lord, I take it. I tell you, right away, you have the forgiveness of sins, you have the rebirth, you have the justification, you have the sanctification, you have the glorification, you have the perfection, and you have the new Jerusalem. From this day, you take the will, you just spend every item that is a bequest in this will. To spend means to, to participate in. To enjoy. Day by day, you just enjoy what is atomized in this new will. This will radically revolutionize our view. From now on, don't pray that much. What do you have to do? Praise! Say! Because the Lord has accomplished all. You just enjoy 
what is bequeathed here. Ron, from time to time, Witness Lee in his ministry would make a statement that, out of context, may seem extreme. And in so doing, he would occasionally leave himself open for criticism, but he always had a definite purpose in doing it. We have a statement such as this before us today. Ron, what was he trying to convey when he said, from now on, we shouldn't pray so much? Rather, thank the Lord. Context is crucial here, isn't it? It is not fair to take this statement and attribute to Brother Lee the claim that Christians pray too much, they shouldn't pray so much, they should just thank the Lord. The context here concerns the testament with all the bequests. If we see that the Bible, especially the New Testament, is a will filled with bequests, we will stop praying so much in a certain kind of way. What kind of way? A begging way. If we see that the forgiveness of sins is one of the bequests, we will thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for my sins. My sins are forgiven. I receive this by faith. There is no need to pray in the sense of, Oh God, forgive me. I hope you'll forgive me. This kind of prayer really is religious, even if it's sincere, it's religious, and it's oblivious to the fact that the item that you're seeking is already yours. If it's already yours in the Scriptures, take it and thank the Lord for it. So let us understand the comments here concerning prayer in relation to the waste, the futility of asking for what you already have and begging for what's already been bequeathed to you. Of course, we need to pray for all manner of things. But when it comes to the items of the bequests that are in the New Testament as a will, we need to receive and then thank the Lord for what he has already done. That's the emphasis here in this message. I am absolutely in agreement with it and am burdened concerning it, that we would see the New Testament, that we would see through the Spirit's enlightening the bequests of the New Testament, and that we would appropriate them by faith, and therefore, instead of offering begging prayers, let us offer exultant praises and heartfelt thanksgivings for all that is ours in Christ in the New Testament. Ron, this is marvelous fellowship and a view that really needs to become our own view. Let's go back to Witness Lee for the conclusion today. We need the heavenly vision. Everything of God's blessings is a bequest. Even peace is a bequest. Peace, firstly, was promised by the Father. Secondly, it was accomplished by the Son. And thirdly, it is itemized in this new will as a bequest. Do you need peace today? You just give him a big sack and take the peace. Don't be a poor beggar. You are a glorious inheritor. An inheritor doesn't need to beg. 
just to thank. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. From the day when my eyes were opened, that changed my whole concept. And this is the reason whenever I pray, I like to praise. Why? Because everything is mine. Everything is a bequest to me. So, I just got crazy. Praise the Lord, this is mine. Okay, Lord, I take this. Oh, what a testament. What a will. The whole thing is a will. And the resurrected Christ today is executing this will. Day by day. While he is sitting there resting, he is interceding to execute this will. He is praying there. His promises are ensured by his faithfulness. And his covenant is confirmed by his oath. And his testament is bequeathed by his death. And now he, in his resurrection, is executing what he has bequeathed. Promises all have been ensured. And the covenant has been confirmed. And the testament has been bequeathed. And now, in resurrection, as the ascended of the body, sitting in the heavens, he is executing what he has bequeathed. Ron, in Romans 8, we saw that Christ was interceding for us. And here again in Hebrews 8, he is interceding. What is the nature of his intercession, this kind of intercession, and how can we best avail ourselves of his heavenly prayer and intercession? Christ, as our high priest, is interceding for us that our eyes may be opened to see the fact that there is such a marvelous thing as the New Testament full of bequests. This aspect of Christ's intercession matches Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Second, Christ is interceding for us that we would appropriate, experience, and enjoy all the bequests in the New Testament. This aspect of Christ's intercession somewhat parallels Paul's prayer for spiritual experience in Ephesians 3. So Christ is praying for us right now. Right now as we're fellowshipping this, he is praying that we would see and that we would experience all that is ours through the bequests in the New Testament. Now, how should we avail ourselves of this kind of heavenly intercession. The answer is given in Hebrews chapter 4 and elsewhere. According to the book of Hebrews, we the believers respond to Christ's heavenly ministry and in particular to his heavenly high priestly intercession by coming forward into our spirit, into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. What happens in experience is this. 
Christ is interceding in the heavens, interceding that we would see and experience the bequests of the New Testament. As he prays for us, something is transmitted from him, the pneumatic Christ, into our regenerated spirit. Eventually, we begin to have some inner sense, some prompting, some stirring deep in our being. We should respond to that by exercising our spirit in faith and by exercising our heart of faith to come forward, to go on, to, so to speak, cross the river. In sum, the way to respond is to step out of ourselves, out of our natural soul life, out of our wandering, fretful mind, step out of that and get into the spirit. By spirit I mean the regenerated human spirit mingled with the spirit of God. This is the practical holy of holies today, and here in this marvelous mingled spirit, we experience and enjoy the reality of the Christ and of the new covenant, which is the New Testament revealed in the book of Hebrews. So Christ intercedes and we respond in faith by getting into the spirit, by staying in the spirit, and by exercising the spirit to see and experience the divine provisions in God's New Testament. Wonderful, wonderful revelation. A whole new universe of spiritual experience for those who want to go on, for those who want to come forward and advance unto maturity for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. Ron, I'm very satisfied with our program and our fellowship today. What started out with a topic uh, based on these legal terms, maybe some anticipated it would end up in kind of a dry theological discussion. But for us to be brought to this point and this wonderful reality of all the experience associated with our entrance into the Spirit, this is good fellowship. It's marvelous. I surely don't feel dry. Rather, I myself feel watered by the living waters flowing within. This is an experiential reality for our delight. I hope this program will produce more and more happy listeners and happy believers enjoying something they never thought they could enjoy in their Christian life. May the Lord bless his seeking children everywhere. I would add amen. Thank you, Ron. We will be back tomorrow with another life study from the book of Hebrews with Witness Lee. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Did you know that you can now enjoy the writings of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee on your PC or Mac, tablet, e-reader, or smartphone? Just go to lsm.org slash ePublications to find out more. Again, that's lsm.org slash ePublications. 
and thanks for listening today.